Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. We are glad you're with us today, and it's nice to know that there are people out there listening. <laughs> yeah, right? we continually have people that come up and thank us for our podcast and that are actually listening out there, and we're just really grateful for that. We we thought there was maybe like two people or a couple <laughs> of our kids, but <laughs> we are actually really grateful, and thank you guys for being here. Yeah, thank you for your, your positive feedback. So we are going to talk about relationships today, and I thought it would be good as we focus on relationships and building strong relationships, and by the way, this is broad. This is in our families. This is in our marriages, but it's also with extended family, neighbors, friends, whoever. But years ago, Elder Oaks, when he was Elder Oaks, shared an experience that we wanted to share to kind of get us started. He just tells of the experience of having a weekly coordination meeting. And back in those days, Elder Neil A. Maxwell was the church commissioner of education, and President Oaks was the president of BYU. And uh, in that weekly meeting, there was always like a little devotional or thought, uh, you know, when they started. And, and on this particular one, Elder Maxwell began the meeting by saying, what would you like to be remembered for after you're, you're released from your present positions? And then he asked everyone to write their answer down on a piece of paper and just think about it privately. And although the question was intended for everyone to think about, you know, their professional contributions that they were making, for whatever reason, for, for Elder Oaks at the time, or President Oaks of BYU, he went right to his role as a father. And he asked himself this question, when your children are grown up and leave home, or when you die, would you want them to remember about you as a father? And like all of us, that question could cause us uh, to really reflect and be quite contemplative. President Oak said that this question caused me to see that I was in danger of being remembered for always being critical and nagging about trivial behaviors that irritated me, such as the practice of a teenage daughter who continually scattered her clothes and other possessions all around the house. And President Oak said, I wanted to be remembered for fatherly communications of praise and love and other matters of eternal importance. And I think that's a great question for all of us as parents and grandparents to think about is, what is it that we wanna be remembered for with our children, with our grandchildren, with extended family members, with neighbors, with friends? What is it that we wanna be remembered for? Because I know all of us would say, I certainly don't wanna be remembered for being that grouchy old, crotchety person, right? Negative. <laughs> yeah, just full of negativity. The neg and The one people avoid. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't want to be like that. And so, and so for today, for our lineup, let's discuss some gospel principles that help us understand relationships a little bit better. We'll talk about some barriers to effective communication and, uh, and relationships. And then we'll talk about how to build healthy relationships with others. You know, I think often one of the greatest hindrances of relationships today is probably busyness, you know, our, our taxing schedules that we have. You know, I remember growing up as a kid that almost every night of the week we were home and we, we had sports every so often that we played, you know, that required us to be gone one night of the week or something. But for the most part, I just remember being home as a family every night. 
Yeah, I just think the culture we live in today is so filled with just busyness, busyness. And I think that is a tool of Satan to keep us distracted, right. keep us from developing relationships, taking time for others, really being in tune to others. I really do. I think distraction is a huge huge thing these days. Huge tool. Well, here's President Udorf. He says, isn't it true that we often get so busy and sad to say we even wear our busyness as a badge of honor as though being busy by itself was an accomplishment or a sign of a superior life? And then he says, is it? I think of our Lord and exemplar Jesus Christ and his short life among the people of Galilee and Jerusalem. I have tried to imagine him bustling between meetings or multitasking to get a list of urgent things accomplished. But then President Utdorf says, I can't, I can't see it. And then he says, instead, I see the compassionate and caring Son of God purposely living each day. He, when he interacted with those around him, they felt important and loved. He knew the infinite value of people he met. He blessed them, ministered to them. He lifted them, healed them, and he gave them the precious gift of his time. Such a great statement. And that's one thing that I've noticed Recently, as we've been studying the New Testament, come follow me, and um, as I've been thinking about the life of Christ, he is our role model in, in relationships. He, he's our role model in every aspect of our life. But when I think about relationships, they think about the stories in the New Testament or the Book of Mormon and how people, every time they came to him, they walked away rejoicing. They walked away healed from some malady, whether he gave them their sight back, he cured them of leprosy, he healed them. And then emotionally, mentally, they came away rejoicing. He, and that's, I think, that we should strive for. I just thought, man, well, that's a great quality is when people interact with us, if they go away feeling better about themselves or feeling uplifted or loved. I have people like that in my life that I love to talk to or be around because you walk away feeling love. They they genuinely care. They ask you about things. And and I just I, that's how the Savior is. I think anytime we approach the Savior with faith, with with humbleness that we walk away feeling healed in some way. I think that is one of the great gifts of the Spirit. I think it's something that we should seek to acquire is that gift of, of when others walk away from us, they're better because of the things that we said to them. And like you said, Janie, there's a lot of people in our lives that have done that for us repetitively, and, and we hope that we can return that favor. You know, most of us are familiar with Third Nephi chapter 11. It's probably one of the most read books of Scripture in the Book of Mormon. But I think for me, one of the most significant parts is this part where Jesus invites the multitude to come up, touch him, right? In verse 14 of chapter 11, Arise and come forth unto me that you may thrust your hands into my side. And he wants them to feel the prints of the nails, you know, in his hands and his feet. And, and they do that. And they come up one by one until they had all gone forth. Now, it's not until the end of, I think, chapter 17 that we learned that there were 2,500 people there that day. And we know what it's like to, let's say, a missionary speaks in church and people come up and say, thank you. And after 10 or 15 people do that, you know, it's probably taken, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, you know, but could you imagine 2,500 people, how long that would take? And I, I just can't imagine Jesus rushing people through, right? And saying, okay, okay, that's great. Now now get moving so I can talk to the next person. Or there's 2,500 people here, so let's do this quick. I just visualize him talking and having common things to say and connection points with with every person. Being so patient and loving with each person. Right. You know, having his arm around them, uh, saying something very personal and very kind. 
And so it doesn't matter. I mean, people have tried, you know, over time to figure out how long that would have taken, whether it's five hours or, or 10 hours. The point to me is that he could have easily stood up and showed the multitude his hands and his side and his feet, and that would have been it, and it would have taken 10 seconds. But he wanted everyone to have that personal connection. And for anyone who questions or doubts the effectiveness of that connection that Jesus had with those people that day, in my mind, all you have to do is go to Fourth Nephi and read the first 10 verses where it talks about uh, the impact that that had on the people. They were all converted, and uh, there was no contention. There was no disputation among them. It tells us that they had all things in common. There's healing. They're, they're raising the dead. It's really a, a Zion-like slash utopian society, and I believe it all stems from the idea that, that uh, Jesus took that time and he ministered to them. And, of course, in the chapters that follow chapter 11, he's teaching them, right? He's teaching them his gospel, and that has an impact on those people. More on the Savior's personality comes from chapter 17, when in verse 1, after he had spoken to the people and shared that great sermon with them, he tells them in verse 2 that, I do perceive, he does notice, by the way, that's called being in tune, that they were weak and probably spiritually drained, and they just needed to go home and process all the things that had been taught, and he was going to come back the next day and teach them more. But as Jesus looks upon these people and sees first in verse 5 that they were in tears, and it was if they were saying, it says in our scriptures, if they would ask him to tarry a little longer. In other words, please don't go. Please stay with us. And he does. His bowels are full of compassion, and he starts to heal the sick. And by the way, this becomes one of the most powerful chapters in my mind of the entire Book of Mormon, where Christ just stays with these people and heals them and ministers to them, and then angels come and minister to them. And when you think about it, none of this was even supposed to happen. This this ver this chapter was going to end in verse 4. They were going to go home, and then we were going to pick it up the next day when they came back for more teaching. But this is when he had, brings all the children to him and has the children all blessed and healed and just some miraculous things because he stopped. He recognized what they needed. He, he loved them. He had compassion on them, and he stopped and took the time. Right, and he always does. He always stops and takes the time, and I— you know, I love what you said, Janie, about Christ is like the master of relationships because he really is. People always came first with the Savior. He was never in a rush, you know. Just uh, the story we just read about how he was on his way to the daughter of Jairus, and he stopped because of the woman with issues of blood and stopped and healed her, you know, and that, yeah. anyway, made him late for the daughter of Jairus. <laughs> anyway, but it, it just shows that even though... He takes the time. Things all work out. He knows that things will work out. <laughs> He's in charge. He's right? in charge. He has a vision. He has a perspective. He has a love for each person individually. Well, I love that we can look to the Savior as such a master of relationships. You know, back to this story in Third Nephi, but Jesus was on his way to visit Heavenly Father and the lost tribes. This wasn't like he just needed to go take a rest, that he was exhausted, that he just needed a break. He had some really serious appointments, <laughs> appointments on his calendar, yeah. You know, I th this reminds me of an experience I read once from Elder Ballard where he had a full schedule, a full schedule. In the middle of the day, he felt inspired that he needed to go to the LDS hospital to give someone a blessing. He didn't even know who, 
But his secretary reminded him that, look, you have a full day. If you if you cut out this part of the day, it's going to really throw a wrench in things. But credit to Elder Ballard, he understood that, but he still knew he needed to go to the hospital. And it turned out to be a miraculous uh, intervention because he did show up. And so it's great to follow those promptings. Well, anyway, back to human relationships for a minute. Relationships in this life are the cornerstone of happiness and a full life. You know, you go back a hundred years ago in our culture, people were great at developing relationships with others. You sat around the fire, you talked with neighbors, you ate together, you associated together. The world that we live in now isn't real conducive to that, but we are, you know, we're social beings though. And the quality of our relationships actually does impact our mental, physical, and emotional health. I love um, the a researcher, uh, Brene Brown. I love her quotes and I love a lot of the things that she teaches. And one yeah. of her quotes, she said, a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreductible need of all men, women, and children. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love and be loved and to belong. And I think we get that through our Savior, Jesus Christ. I think we are born in this world like I think the you know it says the first great commandment is to love God with all your heart, my mind, and soul. And the second is like to like unto it to love your neighbor as yourself. And so yeah. if that's one of the two great commandments that we need to love other people, that's our purpose in life is to learn how to love others, to get along with others, to develop relationships, to with be others. connected with other people, right? Because I think that's what heaven is. That's what heaven's <laughs> going to be, right? Is we're going to be there with all of our loved ones and brothers and sisters and everyone. So. I thought I thought that Terrell Givens had a great insight, you know, one of the, one of his great talks he gave quite a few years ago, but he said aside from Joseph Smith restoring the gospel and all the truths of the gospel, one of the things that he restored was human relationships. You know, and he talked about how close and I wish we could go back and see that in real in real life of how close those saints were. And 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 the great associations they had with each other in the early days of the church. And I think personally that when you think of this group of people that went through all these persecutions and all these trials together, even crossing the plains together, and sometimes we ask ourselves the question of how did they do that? What the heck? How, how in the world did they pull that off? And I know that we think of great spiritual strength and spiritual reservoirs, but I also think that we undersell the idea that they were connected. They had great relationships, and those relationships with each other is really what helped them withstand the difficulties and bond close, and they were a team. We've experienced that before in wards, right? <sighs> yeah. Or even in your family, right, where you bond together, you go through hard times together. But in wards, where mm. we felt like they were family, and we've had hard times where they've rallied around and blessed our lives, where we've rallied around other people and blessed their lives, you know, in times of difficulty. And I just think that's that's what life's about. Yeah, these human relationships. From an academic or a clinical perspective, we know that there's been a lot of research done on, on human relationships and on us as social beings, and that we do so much better in this life when we are connected to other people. In fact, people who have strong relationships with others experience less anxiety, less depression, less stress. Uh, when we have strong relationships with others close to us, our self-worth improves and increases. We have greater empathy. We trust others more. Uh, in fact, even from a medical perspective, those who have healthy relationships with others, uh, it boosts our immune system. 
It helps us to recover quicker from disease and challenges, physical challenges in our life. In fact, there's a lot of research showing that the more connected you are to others, you live longer. Um, you have less stress and a better overall lifestyle. So I think, wow, some great benefits to being connected and having strong relationships with other people. So let's talk for a few minutes about barriers to developing relationships. And when we say relationships, once again, this is within our family. This is within extended family. This is within spouse, children. Our, yeah. Our neighbors, yeah, ward anybody members. Anybody we whoever, run into. Whoever. And one of those barriers is probably just personality issues. I mean, we all are different. Let's face it. We know that. And just not everyone we're going to be drawn to, nor will they be drawn to us. You know, and I often think of... You know, my own mission where I had, you know, let's say 10 or 12 mission companions, but there's, and they're all wonderful, but there's two that I still keep in touch with today because we had a lot in common and we saw the world the same way and, and we, we were very connected. Uh, and that doesn't mean the others were bad people. I just didn't have as much in common with them. I heard a lady the other day telling a story about how she is a total introvert. All she wants to do is get home from work collapse, lay on the couch, you know, but then mm. she has a, a teenage daughter who's a total extrovert and she goes crazy if she's not going, going, going all the time or like at every single party. And she's like, I don't, you know, some, I just can't even understand her and she can't understand how I don't want to go out. And so <laughs> I just think there's all kinds of barriers like that, that we have to overcome and work through. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, just even us, right. I mean, where if I have a free night, uh, I want to go do something with our family or, or with someone. And you're often like, well, I've already been doing that all day and I'm good to... I'm tired. I want to uh, stay home. <laughs> right. Sometimes we have different needs and the different needs that we have could be a barrier to a relationship. Some people are needier. Uh, there's a time crunch. We all know that. I mean, we're all battling that time crunch where sometimes we just can't even find a time to fit in, you know, developing relationships with our crazy schedules. Yeah. Which we talked about a minute ago. It's yeah. Yeah, it's sad in this world that we live in. Right. And so we got we have to find ways to create that time to build those relationships. Sometimes, and this is a difficult one to talk about every so often, but sometimes there are toxic people in our lives that are just going to be really hard to deal with and have a relationship with. Yeah, I think we all have them, right? We've all had a ward member or a neighbor. We had a neighbor once in another part of the country that we lived in, and she was insane, like literally <laughs> insane. And it was horrible. I mean, it was We really probably ought to clarify stressful. for our listeners that when we say insane, we actually do mean that. Yes. Meaning that she was threatening to hurt our children and do damage yes. to our to she, us. And yes, it was it was really disturbing. So we all have those toxic person those toxic relationships. Yeah. And it just reminds me of that the quote from Sister Yi in our last general conference. Yeah. You know, where we have people in our lives that you know, that this, you know, we want to get along with, we want to try to, to be Christ-like too. But she said, please know that forgiving someone does not mean that you put yourself in a position where you'll continue to be hurt. We can work toward forgiving someone and still feel prompted by the spirit to stay away from them. Right. Protecting ourselves. And then our in family the case members we, or whoever. Yeah, yeah. The case that we just shared, we had to protect our family, you know, uh, sometimes there are untreated mental health issues. Sometimes people have issues that they're not quite aware of, but it makes it difficult for them to relate to others or to connect with other people. Sometimes we have a low self-worth and, and that makes us very uncomfortable in having relationships with other people or putting ourselves out there. 
And it's also hard for people that aren't, you know, they're out more outgoing to understand people that are maybe more with John or more shy or more. So, yeah, it kind of go, goes both ways, I think. Yeah. You know, one of our uh, daughters shared with us that sometimes one of the barriers can be just having wrong assumptions about people. And I think we've all had that experience in one way or the other where we thought we would be really good friends with someone and then it just didn't quite work out. Or then we didn't think we would ever be friends we judge someone. them, right? We're like, oh, they're too this or they're too that. I, I probably could never be friends with them. And you end up getting to know them and you're like, they're your best friends. Or Yeah. So. I remember one of our great friends in Arizona, just are still very close friends of ours today. But they told us that one of the reasons why they were felt a little hindered in getting to know us is at the time I taught in the church educational system. And I think that they had this perception that we just sat around every night reading the scriptures and uh, <laughs> trying to have visions or something. And then they just felt like maybe that's not our type of people. And they realized that, no, we're we're pretty normal down to earth people. <laughs> we loved having fun with them and they, uh, they loved having fun with us. But sometimes we can be overwhelmed, you know, just feeling so overwhelmed. You know, think about that in a marriage or in a family relationship. And we have a hard time giving to uh, our emotional selves to other people because we're so overwhelmed. I think one for me is lack of awareness or response. I think in relationships, we need to take the time to, like, I, th I just think about when my teenager would come in and sit at the bar after school and talk to me and I'm doing dishes or whatever. I'd really try to remember, oh, stop what you're doing, focus, look at them or put my cell phone down and listen to them when they're talking or when our spouse comes in to take the time to stop and say, hey, how was your day? And not just keep doing. I think in any relationship, we need to take the time to really invest, to look people in the eye, you know, to remember what they say, to really hear what they're saying. Kind of be present, right? Yeah. Be present. And Christ Jesus was so great at that. Another uh, barrier today that's a barrier we didn't have to worry about 20 years ago, but technology is a huge barrier. I've seen many times firsthand uh, a child coming up to talk to a parent and a parent who is so locked into their cell phone, you know, and just very unaware of a child who has called out to them, mom, 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 you know, seven or eight times or in a marriage relationship, technology can be a huge barrier. There's we could, talk, we could do a whole episode on that because there's just so much research now showing how uh, our technology and our phones are really detriments to human relationships. Well, and I see that with our youth now, the youth that are so ingrained in their cell phones or video games or whatever, they don't know how to develop relationships other than through social media. They don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to look people in the eye. They don't know how to, you know, function without something in their hand or behind a screen. Right, right. You know, sometimes um, people are, are more self-centered and they talk about themselves a lot. This is actually a, a comment I hear from my BYU students quite often is uh, they'll talk about the dates that they go on and the person that they were with never once asked them about them, mm. you know. And I still remember one of our daughters coming home and we said, how was your date? And this is when she was in college here at BYU. And she said, well, I know everything about him, but he knows nothing about me. He didn't ask me one question. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you, we know that too, right? If you're trying to talk to somebody or make small talk or get to know people and all you're doing is asking them questions and they never ask you, it's kind of a one-sided relationship. It's really hard. So we try to really encourage our children. If you want to really build relationships, always ask people about themselves because it makes them feel comfortable 
you know, and it's totally. a, good, a good thing to point out to your children. Yeah, they, they, they need to learn skills now in this area. And so we need to teach those. You know, it's a great reminder that Satan doesn't want us to be close. He doesn't want to be connected. In fact, years ago, Sherry Dew wrote that Lucifer works hard to undermine our innate tendency to nurture and care for others. He wants us to become separated from each other. Voice messaging pagers are efficient, but they don't replace a listening ear or a caring heart. And now we can add social media, our smartphones, things like that. And then back to Sherry Dew. If the adversary can cause us to focus more on our differences than on our similarities, if he could keep us so busy running from one commitment to another that we no longer have time for each other, he has made great strides towards neutralizing the strength and the influence that we can have. We need each other. We need each other's testimonies and strength, each other's confidence and support, each other's understanding and compassion. Lucifer would have us so busy with the details swirling around family, friends, careers, and every soccer league in town mm -hmm. that there's no time to actually live the gospel, no time to fast, to pray, to immerse ourselves in the scriptures, to worship in the temple, all the things we need to do to study out our mortal test. In other words, he wants us to be a little more concerned with the world than with the gospel, a little more interested in life today than in life forever. Regret is what happens when we figure out too late what was really important. I love that. And Satan is powerful. And again, we talked about distraction mm -hmm. a minute ago. That's exactly what that is. No, that's exactly right. You know, as we're talking about some of these things, it reminds me of something I heard years ago from Julia Ward Howe. Some of you may recognize that name. Among other things, she was the, the uh, author of Battle Hymn of the Republic. This woman lived in the 1800s and actually died in the early 1900s. But she once sought the help of a senator and said to him, I am in need of a very special person. He said, Julia, I'm so busy. I can no longer concern myself with individuals. She replied, that's remarkable. God hasn't even reached that stage yet. And I, <laughs> I think that's a great reminder, right? Of Gosh, we got, we've got a, we've, we, we, we're so busy that we can't concern ourselves with individuals. And we're busier than God. <laughs> and we're busier than God. We've got to, We've got to reel something something in. So, And I know for us, Mark, when we think we're so busy, but when you study the lives of our current apostles and prophets and how when you read their biographies, you read about their life, you read the stories and the things they're involved in, each one of them always takes the time for individual people. When they go out to conferences or whatever, they take the time to drive three hours to go give a child a blessing or somebody who's struggling. And then they keep in contact with these people throughout their life. I'm continued to be amazed at this, these stories I see over and over again from them. And it really makes me wake up and be like, whoa, I think I'm busy. <laughs> but these men are extremely busy, but they connect with people one-on-one, -on -one, just like the Savior would. And they, you know, keep these they relationships yeah. and they really minister. So now let's get into this idea of how do you build relationships with others? You know, what are some great principles to live by to build relationships with family, with spouse, with friends, with neighbors? And, and the list that we've compiled, we, we've talked about it. It's, it's in no order. There's no significance here to the order at all. This is just kind of a random brainstorm. But we've got about 15 or 16 points we'd like to share. <laughs> all right, here we go. So number one. Do not be afraid to take the initiative and put yourself out there to be kind of a, a gatherer, but be an, in, an initiator 
of relationships. And I, I remember growing up with my mom, just, you know, we moved several times when I was a kid. And I, I just remember she was the first one to here We were the new people on the street and she went and knocked on every neighbor's door and introduced herself and our family. She just did that. And I, I always appreciated that. Yeah. And again, that's a, a big Brene Brown. If anybody is a big Brene Brown fan is, that, you know, you need to put yourself out there. You need to put yourself out in the ring. And sometimes we get knocked down. Sometimes, you know, it's scary. It's hard, but you've got to put yourself out there. And it usually, re, you know, is very rewarding. I've been very proud of my daughters as they've graduated and moved away to different parts of the country and different towns and cities that they oftentimes have to be the initiator. They're the ones saying, hey, everybody come over for, we're going to have a cookie night or everybody come over, we're going to have a Valentine's party or Galentine's party. And and I'm very proud of them for, you know. Taking and, the bull by the horns. Yeah, because yeah. if you want friends, you have to be a friend. <laughs> well, I remember when we moved to McKinney, Texas years ago and, and everyone was new in that ward. I mean, there was like 600 people in that ward and everyone was new and there was this sense of, Everyone was kind of waiting for everyone else to say hi or take the initiative. And I remember finally saying, okay, we're going to take the initiative here. And uh, and other people did too, and it was awesome. It just turned out great. Here's number two. You have to make time to build relationships. Which we've just talked about a lot. <laughs> right. But I love this quote from Wally Goddard who said that you cannot build relationships while running a stopwatch. Um, you don't ever want to give someone the impression you don't have time or that you're in a hurry. I especially think that with our teenage children is we would laugh all the time that that's when they wanted to talk at midnight when they came home from a date or from a dance and you're exhausted, you know, ready to go to bed. And that's all of a sudden when they want to stay up and talk. And that's just how you just have to go with it. Yeah. You just have to, whenever those opportunities come, you just take you them. You just right? embrace them. Yeah. So number three is just probably over, oversimplified, but just the idea to be friendly with people, to, to try to make con uh, connections with people to try to talk with others. We can do that by showing empathy. We treat people as we want to be treated. You know, that's just a really simple rule of thumb. I know sometimes you just walk down the hall at church and people won't even look up at you, won't even look you in the eye. And I'm like, we're in church. <laughs> at least smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I think we can all do a better job of looking up, yeah. you know, and just at least smile and wave or well, I think, Janie, both of us are very proud of our Texas heritage, and that's one of the things we talk about every time we go there is we just get back on the plane, fly home, and think we cannot believe how friendly everyone is everywhere. You go into the bank, you go into the store, you're at the line. That's why we love Texas and the South, right? <laughs> <laughs> and people just are like that, and I think it's a great example. Um, the next thing is to ask – we talked about this a minute ago, but ask questions. If you really want to get to know people or make people feel at ease or – like, ask them questions. It's so easy to say, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Tell me about your family. Tell me, what do you do for a job? And, you know, and listen and remember those kind of things. I think that's, um, we've had people before too, like leaders or bishops or people that remember things or remember things about your family. And they'll come up and ask you about it. And you're like, wow, they remembered me. It feels so good. I love that. Yeah. Well, that, that actually kind of transitions to number five, which is just, to do just what you said, which is to remember things that are important to other people, uh, like names of family members, events in our life. And I love it when I have a boss or a leader at work or even in the church who will say, how's Janie? Or how's your son or daughter on a mission at this place? Or how is your trip to blank? And you're like, wow, they know about us. And I think these are really important skills that we need to teach our children because I think these are lost arts, you know, lost arts of how to get to know people. Right. And how to develop relationships. Totally. 
Um, one we talked about is just being yourself, being genuine, humble, positive, fun. You know, people are attracted to people that that have those qualities. Nobody wants to go hang out with people that are bah humbug, that are depressing, that are negative. And again, that's a great skill to teach our children. Right, right. Serving and helping other people is another great way to build a relationship with someone is to do something for them. And I think so often we are so busy that we let that one go sometimes. We don't devote enough time to helping and serving. It's like when you have a ward activity and as soon as the closing prayer happens, you know, most people just hop in their cars Bolt. and you can hear the skid marks in the parking lot as they as they peel out. But uh, to stay there and to help, and that's, to me, one of, that's one of my favorite things, I think, is as we rub shoulders with members of our neighborhoods and our congregations and work together on something that's really cool. Leave people better than when you found them. Again, we talked about this a minute ago, is how we feel when you, like the people felt when they were with Jesus Christ. Or we felt when we were with people that made you feel better, that you walk away feeling healed and happy and blessed. And let's, you know, try to do that for other people. I think your dad was a great example of that. He always did that. And we always tried to to just carry that tradition on with our own children and, and grandchildren now. This would actually be number nine to, yeah, be swift to apologize. I mean, one of the challenges today with relationships is there are sometimes if there's contention or a rift, it doesn't get repaired. People just kind of walk away. But to be able to admit that you made a mistake, that's that's in marriage, that's with our children, that's with neighbors, that goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. We need more of that these days. Um, be responsive. So when people text you, write you a letter, do something nice, <laughs> bring over a plate of cookies, respond to them, say thank you. Right. You know how many times, we, you know, like we laugh all the time that you email or text and you don't get any response from anyone. Right. <laughs> and a simple thanks or a thumbs up on a text would just, you know, would be great. But just, you know, it's just a way of noticing people and being respectful. Kind of goes back to your idea of you're at the, in the kitchen and you're working and one of your children's talking to you and just the idea of stopping and being present. Another one is is to build trust in people by being a trustworthy person. Part of that is doing what you say you're going to do. I know that we had a, a daughter that if we ever changed our plans, <laughs> uh, if we told her we were going swimming that day and ended up not, that was a disaster, right? She just didn't didn't handle that real well. Uh, but also this idea of, of being empathetic, you know, that being able to connect with people so that they can trust you with their stories. Right. Of being a safe place for people. We have a daughter like that who literally, she just has, a, must have a target on her forehead <laughs> or back. We can be standing in a line at Disneyland or at Six Flags and the person behind her talks and just talks to her and tells their whole life story and her problems. And she is so caring. She just exudes love and caring and genuineness and i think people Empathy. just yeah, yeah people just feel really safe with her it, it becomes laughable like <laughs> she's in the grocery store line and she becomes best buddies with the person behind and here's their whole life story and they're pouring out their heart to her because she's just that kind of person and i admire that quality i wish i could be more like that yeah i think people just she see really her loves and... people and cares about people and she's a counselor so it works out great <laughs> <Totally. laughs> now she gets paid for it right <laughs> Uh, number 14, we don't need to take too much time on this, but yeah, just learning how to resolve conflict in healthy ways. Because in every relationship we have, we're probably going to have some kind of conflict. We're going to have it with our spouse. We're going to have it with our children. When our children become adults, we'll probably have some type of conflict. And so why not learn to resolve those conflicts in Christ-like and kind ways? 
Their next one is be there for others. Be there at the high points of their life. Be there at the low points of their life. A great example is we had somebody in our life once that had a big tragedy. And I didn't know what to say. I was young. I, you know, said something really stupid like, oh, you know, time heals all wounds or something really stupid. And Or you'll see him in the next life. Yeah, and it was just so offensive to my friend. And... And it made her more upset. I went home crying and I just, oh, I was so upset because I didn't know what to do in that point. And I called my other dear friend and said, who had been through a tragedy and a loss of her child. And she gave me account, the best counsel I've ever received. She said, don't say anything. You don't need to say anything. Just go show up. Just be there. Just mm-hmm. be there to listen. Be there to put your arm around them. Be there to just see what they need. And that has always stuck with me. And so now... I'm not afraid to just go anymore. You don't need to say anything profound. You don't need, you know, but just show up. You know, Janie, I love that one. In fact, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of a really good friend that I still have today. But when his father passed away, I just felt like I needed to go right to his house immediately. And same with you. It was 20 years ago. I wasn't really even sure what to say. So I didn't say much, but I know that he appreciated that and it made a big difference. Here's another one. And it's a big one. This is a really big one today. But to be happy for the success of others. You know, we live in a world today with a lot of envy and a lot of jealousy. And we kind of have this attitude that President Benson talked about years ago in his talk on pride that if you succeed, then I'm failing. And that's such a poor attitude to have. We need to learn how to rejoice and the successes of others. Yeah, be happy for others. Be excited for them. That's part of showing up too is being excited you know, when others have successes right, in their life, right? right? And not just not feel like, oh, that means I'm failing. You it's notice this a lot with uh, comparison with others' children, with others' wealth, sometimes even with others' church callings, you know? And so it's, it is, it's, it's comparison is a thief of joy and a relationship killer for sure. I think another big one is gratitude, especially mm. I think with those that we are closest to, our spouses, our children, you know, our family, Um, I think that we need to really show gratitude and thanks for the little things that they do for us. I think that goes a long way to building relationships and keeping relationships, you know, built up and firm. And there is a lot of research out there that shows the great, incredible benefits of when we express gratitude to family members and how strong and satisfying those relationships are. You know, taking this back to a spiritual level for a minute the word attunement actually is becoming more popular in psychological circles, but we've been using it for years in the church. And I, we say attunement, but I'll say in tune. To be in tune to the needs of others is a great spiritual gift. To know when others are hurting, to understand when someone needs a kind word or an encouragement, uh, to respond to a prompting, to text someone or to call someone. Uh, to be to be prayerful about who you need to be led to every day. I remember years ago, I had a horrible day, and I think I had just received like a rejection letter from graduate school, and in my mind, all was lost. And uh, I was just really discouraged that day. And then that night on the phone, a, a brother called from the ward, and he just wanted to give me a compliment on something I had done, and it wasn't a really big deal, but but he he followed a prompting, and after that, it just put everything in perspective for me. The Lord wants to use us to bless and help other people, and he will. We can be instruments in his hands. And so I think one of the greatest gifts of the Spirit is to learn to be in tune, not just to the Holy Ghost, but to be in tune 
to the needs of other people. To conclude today, I love this statement, and it wasn't by Elder Marvin J. Ashton. He was actually quoting someone else, but the best and most clear indicator that we are progressing spiritually and coming unto Christ is the way that we treat other people. I've always loved that because I feel like there are so many people that feel it's all about how much, how often we read the scriptures or how many times we attend at the temple that week or whatever those outward type of uh, you know exercises are. But really what it boils down to in this life is having relationships with others. How we treat others is the best way to come unto Christ. So as we end this discussion today, we always say, LDS, let's do something. So something that we could do today is identify an area. This is an invitation to identify an area in your life where you need to improve to be better at relationships or to identify someone that you know that you need to improve your relationship with or to make it stronger and then go to work on that. We've loved this discussion today because it's made us realize the incredible people and relationships that are in our life. We feel blessed every day by the people in our life and the Savior who's the ultimate example of relationships. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.